Welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. Your hosts, Marcy and Jenny, are talking and drinking their way through Newberry award-winning books, past and present. Hi, and welcome back to the Newberry Tart Podcast. I'm Marcy. And I'm Jenny. And tonight we're discussing the 1992 honor book, The Wright Brothers, How They Invented the Airplane by Russell Friedman. I have a citation from the School Library Journal um, written by John Peters in June 1991, and I'm just going to read part of it, um, but it's very exuberant. What unusual people the Wright brothers were. Despite a four-year difference in age, the two grew up to be as close as twins, a patient bachelor pair who methodically set out to prove the possibility of powered, controlled human flight. Just as methodically, they promoted their new flying machine, made lots of money, and overcame the U.S. government's stubborn lack of interest. Friedman takes readers back to that exciting time, using not only the Wright's written descriptions and the accounts of odd observers— but also a large selection of the careful photographs that Wilbur and Orville took to document their experiments. So that's, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is exuberant, but it's well-deserved, I think. Again, we're recording during COVID, and so we are not recording together. But we will do some, some drink, and, drink and snack episodes once all of this ordeal is over. And we can spray droplets on, on or near each other. Um, <laughs> that I don't think that sounds appealing regardless. <laughs> no, it doesn't. That's that's one of the things, right? Like I never thought about how much spit was on me all the time from other people <sighs> until all this happened. And now I'm like, can I please have a spacesuit? We'll probably pick some kind of flight cocktail. Oh, you know what? There's a really great cocktail called the Aviatrix that I oh, love. Well, there we go. And yes, they weren't Aviatrixes. They were Aviators, but who who cares? It's a really good cocktail. So we'll do that one. It's also purple. Oh, awesome. Yeah. It's pretty and delicious. I didn't know a lot of the particulars of the story. Did you know a lot about this, about the story? I knew that they flew, they had the first flight and I knew they were brothers. I knew they wore cool hats. I know. I didn't know a lot about it. I feel like I have more of a visual, you know, of them, which makes this book very appropriate. But really it does my, (laughs) if you asked me to tell you about them before this, I would be like, Kitty Hawk. I don't know anything. North Carolina and Ohio seem to have a battle going on with their license plates about who, you know, where they actually flew first or who claims them as the first flight. I would love to see like a, a tweet war between the DMVs or whatever of those two of those two I'm states. I'm sure there's been some kind of friction. I'll see if I can find something because that would be in, that would be entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> That's one for the show notes. You didn't know much about them either, it sounds like. No, but so I was I was going to say that if you are not familiar with this book, the author, Russell Friedman, is well known for doing these amazing photobiographies. He's won multiple awards in addition to multiple Newbery honors and one medal, I believe. Is it two medals? One medal. He won one medal and then three honors. Yeah. But he basically just took the Wright brothers' own photos and wrote this very, like— factual nonfiction account of how they invented flying, which to me, you know, at first glance sounds boring, honestly, but it's not boring. It's compelling. And I read it in one sitting and I love it. I, I agree with you that it's really interesting. I think that the photographs are phenomenal and that Russell Friedman does an incredible job of digging through archives 
and getting access and creating the narrative out of existing materials. I also really love that he's very careful to let you know, like, where the archives are that he used. Like, one thing that I really like, I'm going to rustle around a minute for uh, my book. Hang on. One of the things that I really, truly love about the books that he writes are how well documented everything is like in the back of this one there is an index like (laughs) not just like names or places but it's like ailerons wind tunnel you know lilienthal auto with every mention of this guy who was another gliding pioneer and he's like gliding technique of and influence of on rights like it's so meticulous and then he has this whole great list in the back of not only the sources that he used and the archives that he dug into, but places that you can go, you know, that are mentioned in the book. And, you know, let's see here. For the for the Wright brothers in their own words, see, and then he has a list of works. And it's just, it's so specific without getting tedious. You know what I mean? I agree with you 90%. Ooh, go on. So I found this really fascinating and I found it really readable and really interesting. And I'm always up for research. I'm always up for learning. Like I'm always up for a very well-researched book Mm -hmm. that has like, that goes into like a single issue or like a a life or in this, in this case, two lives joined together by their achievement and just does like a huge like exploration of that. And I, the pictures are amazing. I mean, absolutely amazing. And I think it, it does, he did a great job of letting, you know, Orville and Wilbur shine through. So it feels like you know, it feels like you get to know them as people, which I never would have imagined knowing much about their personalities until I read this. Mm-hmm. But I have a problem with the layout. I think that it, particularly by the time it was in, you know, it was 1992 or 91 when this was published. I just think that the layout could have been a lot more dynamic and it does that thing that I just cannot stand and I have not been able to abide it since I was a very small child, <laughs> which is, which tells you a lot about me as a kid. No, no, I know, um, I know what you're going to say. And I, I agree. Okay. Okay. If you know what I'm going to say, then, then tell me if I, if you, if that's it after I say it. Okay. There are photographs that are on certain, that are on a page and then the text has nothing to do with what's in the photograph and or there's photographs that are like historically adjacent photographs. This is more in the beginning of the book about other people's structures and other people, mm-hmm. but there's not really any information about them. And I don't like that at all. Hmm. Like That is, is not that what I thought you were going to say. No, okay, I thought so- you were going to say the, the thing that bothered me about the layout and that I have not been able to stand since I was a small child is when you have photos in a book with captions and then the text doesn't stop on that page. So you have to interrupt your reading of a paragraph to read the caption and then go back to then flip the page and read the incomplete sentence. Yeah, I don't like that either, but it's lower on my list of qualms. Where, just out of just out of curiosity, where's there a picture that is not like discussed? 
Um, so number six, it's on page 16, and it's the aerial steam carriage designed by William Henson and John Stringfield. And there's nothing about that anywhere. <laughs> well, I think because on the next page, they're discussing like historical gliders, like from Da Vinci on up, right? Yeah, but they never mention Henson and Stringfield anywhere else. And I understand like maybe not having other reference photos or reference drawings, mm -hmm. but come on, like say something about Henson and Stringfield. Like okay, have like fair. a little paragraph. Like that has always bugged the shit out of me since I was a small child because it's like, okay, what if I'm reading this and this has happened, you know, and I'm like, this aerial stream carriage is the only thing I want to know about in this book and it's <laughs> nowhere else in this book. So I'm just out of luck. And hmm. I just feel like why couldn't there be a drawing or some kind of representation from Cayley, which he goes into a lot of detail about Sir George Cayley, a British baronet who made a systematic study of bird flight and aeronautics. So it's also at the beginning of it's near the beginning of the book. So why shouldn't we see some uh, systematic studies of bird flight and aeronautic diagrams? You know, like I think that would have been interesting to build on. So, so like I said, I think it's a really great book, but I, I just think the layout is really not dynamic. And then I don't like the way, like you were saying, the way that the text is sliced in certain ways. Mm -hmm. And then the disconnection between sometimes the pictures and the captions and then what's the text surrounding it. I just, that just is... That endlessly like bothers me. That's fair. That's fair. Then you have pictures like number page number thirteen where we got Wilbur and it's a shot from the back, and and he is uh he's he's striking a little pose while he's using the bicycle shot. <laughs> that machine. one I love. I love. Yeah, and I'm like he had some sass in him. You know, I'm like he's he's kind of kind of pooching his butt out a little bit. <laughs> like, but also yeah. the clothes are awesome. I'm like, look at that. Like the little tie on the vest and like the, the the thick pants and the hat and stuff. I mean, it was just, there's so many amazing things to see in this book. Yeah, I love, I think, I don't know. They were so, there's the first picture of them is on page four. The two of them sitting together on the porch and just Orville's socks in that picture. Like, okay. Epic. So I am someone who enjoys a funny sock, but I don't usually talk about it and I don't show them to people on purpose. And it's like my own little secret that I have with myself that makes me feel happy, right? Mm -hmm. So I felt a kinship to Orville and his snazzy socks and that they were mentioned, <laughs> but I don't want to be one of those jerks. It's like, I wear funny socks. That's a personality trait. It's not. It's just something that I do to make myself happy. I think Orville had that little uh, had that little bent as well, and I felt uh, I felt very happy about that. Well, good. <laughs> <laughs> I felt I felt happy about this whole book. I really thought it was going to be kind of dry, um, but it was not. One thing that I really like is that it really highlighted for me a thing that I felt a kinship with them over, which is like this obsession with hobbies. Right. Mm. Um, you know, they started out getting obsessed by like pr 
printing and photography and bicycles and all like they just got obsessed right and they worked together on these things to just experiment and I really really associate with that because or I really connect with that because I do that too and it's funny because my hobbies are entirely different but they do inform each other right and interconnect and you can see that happening with the Wright brothers with all these hobbies like they start out just being interested right so they're interested in printing so they learn to build printing presses and they become interested in bikes so they eventually open a shop where they not only like repair and sell bikes but they construct them and like those clearly work together to help them you know just figure out the mechanics of the things they were inventing and then they get obsessed with photography and they build their own dark rooms and then later on especially for the purposes of this book but also for history, right? They have this perfectly documented series of experiments where they actually at one point set up a camera to go off while their first flight was only two feet off the ground. They literally caught the first moments of the first flight perfectly, which wouldn't have happened if they didn't have all these previous interests. So I just love how it all comes together. Yeah, I mean, it is, I, I, can, I can see that. And I think that's really cool that you saw that. I think I related also to this idea of having like a passion and just going full force face first into it. Right. And like making these journey into this journey on this, that rickety boat withstanding sandstorms and mosquitoes that let like, Oh, that's horrible. I think, I think Orville wrote that he like they ate through the, their underwear and they had these like welts the size of chicken eggs on their bodies and it was like so just that kind of almost not single mindedness but I guess it is single mindedness of like I we have something we want to do and we are going to do it and I mean yes they were men they had money they had independence and that is why they were able to pull this off in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, baseline, but they also were extremely intelligent, extremely determined, and they were creative and had so much ingenuity. Like, I thought it was incredible, the stuff that they would do. It, the book describes them once they're on the beach in Kitty Hawk, like when things would go awry like they would fix it on the beach and they would like reconfigure it on the beach. And I just, I just think about like, even though they had all these advantages, the amount of work and grit and just brilliance it would take to do that is just astounding. Yeah. Well, and the fact that they were doing it as a team, like the description of their family, is it's it's not so specific that they're like, oh, this person felt this way about this person. It's just that like the story that comes through is clearly the result of like this wonderful family dynamic. Like I didn't know that they had other siblings um, mm -hmm. to start with. I knew about Catherine. Yeah, I knew about their sister. That was it. Yeah, but like, the, and they were so close, right? I mean, the book talks about how they would start humming the same song at the same moment. Like, not like different parts of the same song either. Like, they would start on the same note and just keep going like nobody noticed. And it, I don't know, like, I can't, I can't imagine <laughs> a sibling relationship like that. It must be amazing. I don't know. Like, I think for me, that's one of those things that sounds cool when I read about it. 
But I think in actuality, I would like nothing like that. <laughs> you like, would just be like, get away. <laughs> well, I would be like, we can sing together sometimes, but I also need alone time. <laughs> You'd be like, okay, um, Wilbur, I need you to go work on this in the other room. And I'm going to be here doing this. It did make Wilbur sound a little <laughs> overbearing in a couple ways, like the way yeah. that like anytime they had to be separated for any reason, you know, Wilbur was like very concerned about Orville's well-being, even when they were like grown men in their 30s, mm-hmm. which I, if, I were, if, if I were the younger sibling, I probably wouldn't enjoy that very much, but it, it worked. <laughs> I mean, you can't really argue with the results. Yeah, it did. And... I think it was really interesting. Not only did they have each other and they had a family that was supporting them in lots of different ways. And there is a, there's like a, I think at least one picture book about Catherine. Hmm. I can't remember the name of it. It's like the right sister or something like that. And it talks about like, you know, the things that she contributed, which were not maybe on the same, uh, technical level, but they, she did contribute to their efforts in different ways. But it's been a while since I've read it, so I don't remember the particulars. Hmm, I have to look that um, up. But I thought it was really interesting when that once they got to Kitty Hawk that they actually created their own little family unit there, including, and I thought this was super fascinating, And but the picture of the family made me like really like chuckle. So there was the postmaster in, in Kitty oh, Hawk yes. <laughs> um, and, and his family and they, they housed the Wright brothers a few times when they would come out because they, they came out, went out to Kitty Hawk a few times to get this going. And so the Tate family picture, they all look like they want to die. And I understand <laughs> I understand that like times were tough. I also understand that photography at the time was not what it is now. And so I know there was a lot of like, you have to stand really still, but I mean, even the tiny, like even the small child looks like I am just like one minute from eating some cyanide. Well, the description of Kitty Hawk in those days is not that far off from that, honestly. Like that's kind of why they picked it. Yeah, I mean, it's just so, even the dog, <laughs> have this look on their face like, why did we come here? Why is this life? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's just, you know, yeah, it was rough there. But, I mean, it always, always just, like, kills me when you see these pictures and, like, you know the conditions were really rough. Like, like I already mentioned the mosquitoes eating through their clothes. And, like, these women are in these, like, full dresses with like full undergarments and puffy sleeves and like many layers. And it's like, you know, I mean, it's, it's North Carolina in the summer, even though it's, you know, the North of the Carolinas, it gets really, really fucking hot there. Yeah. Yeah. Especially at the beach. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I could just go on and on about that picture, but, but yeah, I mean, I was really, I was really taken by how they created their own little family. And on, let's see, on page 54, it's not marked, but it's the, it's, you know, the one after 53. So it's 54. (laughs) They have the picture of kind of the group with one of the gliders on the beach. And you have Octave, Chanute, Orville Wilbur, Augustus M. Herring, George A. Spratt, and Dan Tate. Dan Tate was the postmaster. 
and so it's like they're just hanging out, you know, and um, you just get a sense of camaraderie. And I think that's really interesting for two men who are kind of loners together. You know, they're two brothers who are loners together, but then they attracted other like like-minded folk within like a few mile radius and created their own little band of, of people, you know, <laughs> on that page, it calls them gliding enthusiasts. <laughs> Hello, I'm a gliding enthusiast. I'd like to see you glide, please. <laughs> it also says that it, <laughs> it also says that at night they played the mandolin and the harmonica together, which I can just sort of imagine, and it's very yes, pleasant. And the other people would sing, which I think is really like a fun detail too. Yeah, hear what they sang. Do you think they sang like like naughty songs, like sea shanty songs? <laughs> There's got to be there's got to be a record somewhere of that. I don't know. That seems like a thing we should be able to look up. I'm sure we can find it. But I mean essentially, you know, they turned their bicycle shop into an airplane shop, but they were still running it as a bicycle shop to make money when they were back in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And then on December 14th, 1903, they did what they thought would be their final their final flight because they had created a a motor that was 179 pounds. They determined that you had to have a motor. You couldn't just, but the motor had to be like less than 200 pounds and no one could build it for them. No one would build it for them. So they actually made it by hand in their bicycle shop. Yeah. And they had sent the specs to like several large motor companies and they were like, it just needs to be above nine, nine horsepower. And the one they made was like 12. So they actually did a better job than the professional people, which is crazy. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they were just kind of figuring it out as they went along. It wasn't even like something that they, they drew up entire blueprints for, it was just something they were like, well, a motor needs this part. So uh, I'm going to draw this and then uh, see if you can fabricate. It. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's basically it. And it's the thing that gets me is how rapidly they were successful. Like they did their first like kite experiment in 1899. And by, let's see, by 1909, they had such fully functioning airplanes that they had sold them to the government and were doing like flights around the country. Mm-hmm. Like 10 years from a kite yeah. to an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hate to say this, but I think it shows like, it kind of shows what you can do with your life if you don't have a small child. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I can't even get or laundry done. I can't even do laundry. Yeah. <laughs> or like a family. So like, I mean, yeah, it's like, okay, yeah, let me be a bachelor man with no obligations it's Except a, it's, to my family, which it's very thorough. You know, I can kind of blow off when I want to, and then I have this idea, and my brother and I, my brother has that idea too, and so we're just going to build this machine, and we have the money, and we have the place, and the space, and the time. Yeah, I mean, yes, that is the kind of stuff that you can get done if you do not have a family that you're responsible. For. It, it reminds me so much of like Walden Pond, right? Because everybody's like, oh, Thoreau is like living in the wilderness and like in love with nature. But then you realize that he's like a well-dressed dude squatting on his friend's land. Like he's, he's got plenty of money and time to sit here and, and be a philosopher or whatever. It's It's just, you're right that with unlimited time and resources, you can accomplish most things. 
And I'm not saying that's the wrong life choice. I'm not saying either is a wrong life choice, but you know, if you aren't tending to family members, one of whom's a definitely a gremlin. Yes. Or, or more than one. <laughs> you know, we, Marcy, we could have built some airplanes. <laughs> no idea that one of them died so young, actually. I didn't either. I really didn't. And it really, I mean, obviously, but it seems like sort of permanently, it took the wind out of the sails of the other one. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, I think sometimes people, some people have the experience, and it sounds like with them, like people saying they were like twins. Yeah. Where they just like almost share a brain and they, they create like a hive mind. I mean, you said with the whistling and stuff, it's like you just, you know, someone so well, they become uh, an extension of you. And I think, you know, I mean, you hear all the time about people, long term couples, like one passes, the other passes not soon, not far after. Mm hmm. And I think that's part of it, right? Like someone has become such a part of who you are and how you exist that, you know, I mean, yeah, it's not going to be any fun or it's not going to be worthwhile inventing or doing stuff once the, once your partner's gone. It's so sad. It is. But I mean, they also achieved like this huge pinnacle of like changing the world. So it's sad but like they did make a mark and we know about them now. Like we would never have known about them if they hadn't done this amazing thing. That's true. And I would never know about the gentleman who sewed the compass to his his leg. They they seemed very focused on that, didn't they? On page number 22, the Charles Manley? Yes. Yeah, I mean, this is a bitchin' bitchin' outfit, guys. It's <laughs> a it's a collarless collarless what what would you call this? Like, like a jumpsuit? Jumpsuit? Yeah, a jumpsuit. It's very proto-steampunk. Yeah, and then he, I, I don't, I, I was trying to think about like, why does he have it on his knee? Because he's laying down to glide, so, or. Isn't that the one where that, he was sitting? Oh, it is. Okay, so this is the, he's in the one, and this was like in 19... Yeah, this was 1903 in October. And so Charles Manley, this guy, I guess he was wearing, it looks as if he was wearing a cork-lined life jacket and automobile goggles. Because <laughs> yeah. they were launching this, him off the top of a houseboat. Yeah, and he like was holding on. It was like he was doing an extended, um, uh, not pull-up, but like he was just hanging on with his hands and then his knees were bent in front of him. And so, yeah, that's where the compass would be. I don't, but like, would he need a compass in case he fell off? Like, why does he need a compass on his knee? I mean, I think they wanted the compass for navigational purposes, but they were not anticipating that the 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 glider would literally just catapult off the boat into the water, which is what happened like three times. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> I think they were hoping that he would need it in the air to like gauge his bearings or whatever. Yeah, I guess I guess they were being hopeful. Yeah. And the pictures of that are insane. Like they're I mean they're a little blurry, but you have the the picture of the Great Aerodome, that's what it was called, and it's on this boat, this houseboat, and there's a like a rig on the top of it. And then you see you see like it taking off and just like parts of it falling off. <laughs> 
And then you see it in the water. So the funny thing, really, and part of the problem for the Wright brothers originally, the reason they couldn't get government funding was that this other glider inventor had come up with this other like contraption and was super confident and managed to secure a great deal of government funding, you know, for the time and kept having these colossal flops, like these huge failures. And the government was like, yeah, we're not going to waste any more money on this. But the exact same day that they had the biggest first catastrophe with this other invention is the same day that they actually achieved flight at Kitty Hawk with Mm -hmm. absolutely no help and stuff that they sewed themselves for like, what did they say the total cost of that one glider was? Uh, I don't remember. Hang on. Uh, less, uh, less than $1,000. And the other guy had spent over $73,000. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to find the one picture, though, because it was kind of amazing. I think, I think I found the right page. Let's see. So I will say, too, if you were not interested at all in early flight, this is going to be a slog. And if you're not at all interested in old photographs, it's not going to be interesting to you because there's just page after page of like these handmade gliders. You know, though, I was like, oh, there's another glider. There's a guy laying in it. Like, you know, the funny thing is, that is a warning. But the funny thing is that I'm not actually interested in early flight at all. And I did not find it a slog. So, I mean, you may not, but I do, I, I mean, there are just an awful lot of pictures of dudes laying in gliders. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, so. I think it's funny because like the Wright brothers have become sort of a elementary school student topic, right? In general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To the point that it's weird that like after I read this book, like my husband and I, like both like 40, 41 year old adults having having a cocktail after the kids went to bed and we're sitting there talking about the Wright brothers because this book was is very clear and simple, but it was so felt like so full of interesting little bits and pieces that I was telling it to him and he was like, "Ooh, I didn't know that. And he was like, you know, this is kind of bizarre that it's so interesting. I'm like, that's why we have this podcast because everybody feels the same way. And like, this is not a book I would have picked up to read just to enjoy probably ever, but I did enjoy it and I found it really interesting. And I'm just kind of glad that I know all these little bits and pieces, even though it's not a special interest topic of mine. I would have, and I'm surprised I didn't when I was a kid pick this up. I was very into like biographies And I'm still into biographies to a certain degree, but I enjoy trashy, like, rock autobiographies Mm -hmm. or, like, just really ridiculous autobiographies. Like, I read Bob Denver's, you know, Gilligan from Gilligan's Island. (laughs) He was high a lot. That was was a big thing that he did, and he wrote about it a lot. And it it, it upset the other cast members. That never occurred to me, but it actually makes very good sense. But, I mean, I remember reading biographies of, like, Robert Fulton and, like, I mean, all these these people that, like, I don't know why I was so interested in it and all this stuff. But, like, I was like, oh, this first steam engine, yes, I want to read about that. <laughs> and so I'm surprised I never picked this up earlier in my life. But I was really excited to read it. And I did really enjoy it. It's just the the things that I mentioned at the beginning, I had some problems with that. But yeah, I mean, but I don't know, like I miss 
there are amazing, amazing nonfiction books out right now, like just amazing. And there are incredible nonfiction books that have been coming out for a long time. But this kind of book in particular really rings all my bells because I'm such I've been spending so much time as in archives in the past five years. And so, and I would just come across, I come across the weirdest, amazing, most amazing things. And it's like to be able to see this almost like as a research trip or a research journey is really fascinating to me as an adult. In particular, the picture that you have of, um, I guess it would be page 78 and 79, where it's the picture of the first flight and you have Orville in the pilots, the pilot, is it a seat if you're laying down? I don't know. The pilot plank. <laughs> and you, have, you have Wilbur who was running alongside it and you, you have could, that. You could call it a chaise. <laughs> Orville, get into the chaise. <laughs> that seems like something they would say. Look at the picture on the back cover and tell me that's not something they would say. They look like they're going to like try to sell you like fake items (laughs) and or and either whether you buy them or not, they're going to punch you in the teeth like that. That is an actual like the back cover photo. They look very tough. They look very peaky blinders. And yeah, they look like they're about to like hold up a, a steam train or they're about to like knock over a distillery Mm. like they do not look like they should be messed with. And that is very antithetical to the other pictures and the other things yeah. that are in the book. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, I dare say Wilbur looks, Wilbur and Orville look rather fetching in this photograph, which is, it feels wrong for it me does, to say. It does that. feel wrong. <laughs> and they don't, in any other photographs in the book, they just look interesting to me. So I've, I don't, I need to stop talking. I need to stop looking at that <laughs> photograph. Um, well, on a, on a different note, I, w- I would have to say that it's hard to have a, a long discussion about this book because it, it's just, there's nothing to debate, right? It's their lives and it's just well-researched and clear. And I think that's why Russell Friedman is so well-known as an author of this kind of book because to be able to do that is a real skill. And he's basically... I don't know. A lot of books like that, you you have a real sense of the author's perspective, right? But I feel like he sort of removed himself completely. But that just shows um, his skill as as a writer to me. Does that make any sense? No, it does. And I, I think that... I think he makes it come alive in a way that I just... I You know, I just feel excited... No, that sounds weird after I was just talking about their picture. Um, <laughs> I, I'm i really drawn in by what he wrote and then the dynamic pictures that he included. I think they're, it's a really incredible, incredible packaging of the story. I just really wish, and maybe there are older, like newer issues and like editions of this mm-hmm. book. I just wish that the layout was more dynamic because I feel like it deserves it. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you and I have the same edition because our page neighbor, our um, page numbers are the same. Yeah. And it's possible that it was never really reprinted. Like it might have been reprinted, but not have other editions. There's not a lot to debate about this book. It's more singing its praises and the, just the interestingness of the story. <laughs> 
I do have a fair number of read-alikes. Do you have any? I do have, um, I have two read-alikes and um, may I go ahead with them? Yes, please. Okay. So one of them, they're both centered on women aviators. So aviatrixes. Is it aviatrixes or aviatrices? I don't know. I like saying the X, the X sound. So I'm just going to say aviatrixes. (laughs) I don't think you're wrong. I'm just curious because I I think it might be tomato, tomato kind of thing. Yeah. So it's a book by Karen Bush Gibson and it's called Women Aviators, 26 Stories of Pioneer Flights, Daring Missions and Record Setting Journeys. And um, it's exactly what it says. It's 26 kind of mini biographies on different women who were involved in flight and or were actual aviators. So there is something about Catherine Wright in there. There's Baroness Raymond de la Roche of France who ignored those who ignored um, ignorant claims that only men possess the physical strength or mental capacity to pilot the airplane. There's Harriet Quimby. There is Bessie Coleman. There's Catherine Cheung. There's Valentina Grizzadubova. Nada Snook. There's just an enormous amount. I mean, there's 26 mini biographies about women in flight. So I really love that there's there's a lot of variety of what they did or what how they participated in flight. Either they were sorry. I really love there's diversity in like how much they participated in flight and what they invented, as well as their backgrounds and the different eras that are covered. It's a really, really good book. And if you find nonfiction kind of dry, this is great too because they're they're short little biographies. There's, you know, 26 in this one book. And then the other the other read-alike I have is talking about Bessie, the story of aviator Elizabeth Coleman. And it's by Nikki Grimes and illustrated by E.B. Lewis. And this book is just really beautiful. I think it really shows the courage that Bessie had and how she got her flying license, how she beat the odds of those around her discouraging her. And it's just a, I mean, it's just a really, really great picture book. So both of those are, I highly, highly recommend. So, and of course we spoke with Nikki Grimes one, um, we had a full length interview with her and then we had a mini interview with her and those are both available in our feeds and on our website. So newberrytart.com and you can check that out. Awesome. Marcy, what are your read-alikes? <laughs> well, I have some sort of read-similars, if that's not poor grammar. The the thing that felt the most similar in tone to me might be for slightly younger readers than this book, but our very first book review was Sugaring Time by Catherine Lasky, and that is also a photo essay about a family who lives I mean, it's a totally different topic, but the family lives in Vermont and does like a sugar, maple sugar family business. And just the way that the, it's probably the layout has a lot to do with it too, but it's just photos of the family as they're doing this thing that they do every year. And it's also very clear and readable. And so it seemed very similar to me. And of course, if anybody's interested in listening to that review or either of our interviews with Catherine, those are also on our website. The other one is not at all related, and I don't 
know why it reminds me so strongly of this book, except probably for the fact that they both include newspaper pages as part of the documentation. But the 60s trilogy by Deb Wiles, which would be, of course, for much older readers than this book, but they have the same interspersing of text and pictures. And while the stories are historical fiction, the pictures are all completely real. So like newspaper pages, photographs, hundreds of them all interspersed with the text in a way that really gives the story a context that it might not otherwise have had. Oh, those are really great. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And then, of course, anything else by Russell Friedman, because he has a huge list of books that he's written, and most of them are multiple award winners. So they're all well worth reading. And if you like this exact style, he has books about people like Abraham Lincoln and Marian Anderson and uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, among many others. So well worth checking out. And he passed away in 2018. Which is so sad. He yeah, would have been he would have been amazing to talk to. He would have been. And so I think, you know, when we get to his when we do his winning book, we'll do a little mini biography of him. But until then, just, you know, check out more of his books if you really loved this one. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening to the third episode of our sixth season. We talked about the Wright brothers, how they invented the airplane by Russell Friedman. And next episode, we're going to be talking about the other 1992 honor, which is Nothing But the Truth by Avi, thus completing our the three Avi Newberry books. Yes. And hopefully our gushing about Avi. <laughs> well, I'm sure you wouldn't mind. I hope not. <laughs> So as we mentioned, if you want to find any of our interviews or previous reviews, you can check out our website, NewberryTart.com. Otherwise, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Please do. We love followers. We love you. Make comments. Like us. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Bye. Production assistance for Newberry Tart is provided by Raphael Siebenman and Liam Grove. Graphic design by Liz Meitinger. Intro and outro by Ariana Hargrave. Theme music for this podcast is provided by the laid-back and local Throckmorton Ukulele Band. You can hear more of their music on Facebook. Find more Newberry Tart episodes at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Our website is Newberry Tart. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-Y-T-A-R-T dot com. <laughs>